Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, Passion. So turn in your Bibles to John 13, verses 12 to 20, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, Raised to Serve. It's a very hard thing, this thing we call servanthood. You know, it's hard to take the lowest place. So let me read the very familiar text, Mark 9, 33 to 34. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. So the disciples were silent because they knew exactly how Jesus felt about that kind of jockeying for position. They didn't want him to know that they were ignoring his clear teaching about this matter. So when he asked them what they were discussing, well, no one wanted to be forthcoming. Unless you and I who read this passage so many years later feel overly critical of them, you should also know that we too find it so very difficult to think that we have a lower position than someone else. We naturally want a position that brings more status, more pay, and more of the other stuff. I mean, who thinks a manager should be changing toilet paper in the bathroom? Who thinks a certified electrician should carry the tools for his apprentice? Or who thinks a nurse's aide should ask a leading specialist to help clean out the bedpan? It's just not done. Our position in life assures our status. So don't be quite so critical with the disciples of Jesus. There were 12 of them, and it's clear to see that Jesus spent more time with Peter, James, and John than he had with the rest. And clearly, they must be in leadership. And so the question of position was not actually an unusual one, nor was it an unimportant one. You know, what's the pecking order over here? And then as Jesus had arranged for his disciples to eat the Passover meal, and as the 13 of them enter into the upper room, it was surely shocking to see Jesus laying aside his outer garment, taking up a towel and pouring water into a wash basin and beginning to wash the feet of his disciples. That's the lowest position. That's the duty of the man with the lowest rank. That's that's the thing you would get a Gentile slave to do. So Jesus washed the feet of the twelve. Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot. And then uh, he was done. I imagine there was a stunned silence in the room, embarrassment, a sense of awkwardness. He then rose, having completed the task, and put his outer garment back on, placed the foot-washing containers back in their place. The towel also was hung up, and then he sat down. The room is quiet. Every eye is on him. So I'm reading John 13, 12 to 17. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. That was a mouthful. Jesus began with a question. Do you realize what I've just done? Now, of course, they won't understand this fully until after he's gone to the cross. But for now, they do understand a great deal. They know he loves them more than than they would ever have imagined. And they know that he gladly serves them. 
They've heard him say it in the past that unless they were willing to take the status of a child, they would never understand the values of the kingdom of heaven. And taking on that theme, Jesus then builds up to a command. If I, who am your Lord and teacher, have done this for you, I did it as an example so that from now on, you will do what I've done. Now, please don't misunderstand and think that what Jesus was doing here was promoting the idea that from now on, no one should take the place of leadership or that none of them should have honor or position. You know, because first of all, if that's what Jesus meant here, well, then we'd have to assume that when the early church started, and clearly Peter and John take the primary leadership and more so, Peter seems to take precedence over them all. Well, we'd have to then assume that in some fashion, he was disobeying the Lord in the foot washing incident. See, I could refer you to 1 Corinthians 12, 28. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. That is, in the early church, there's a definite hierarchy. There's a definite understanding that there were those who were to take primary positions of leadership. And that gets repeated in a number of other scriptures as well. So, for instance, Hebrews 13, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So leadership and submission to God-ordained leadership, that's a command the early church believed in. And it's not as if this, is, this only developed later. You know, as the words of Jesus after, you know, the washing of the feet started to fade in their memory, that's not it. You know, from the very outset, you're going to remember Acts chapter 6, a problem developed in the early church. The church immediately took upon itself a task of making sure that the widows had enough to eat. But when some widows were being overlooked, Acts 6 verse 2 says, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, you might wonder, in the light of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, whether just a few weeks later, the apostles had already forgotten the lesson and given up on the ideal. But that's not so. Look again at John 13, 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. Now, those were two titles, teacher, Lord. Teacher is a Greek rendering of what the Jews would have called rabbi. He was their rabbi. He was their teacher. He continues to remain that. Now, there is some discussion of what is meant by the title Lord, and no doubt early on in their training that the Twelve would have called Jesus Lord and meant no more than Master. You know, he's their leader. But as time went on, at least the more astute ones like Peter, well, they would have said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And slowly, slowly, they were understanding that Lord referred to deity, So it's important to see that Jesus never backs off on that. He has priority and leadership. So go back all the way to the beginning of the incident of the foot washing. John 13, verse 3 says of Jesus that before he tied a towel around his waist, began to wash their feet, the text says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, that is, Jesus, knowing who he was, the one whom the Father had entrusted all things, the one who was always both with God and who is God, the one who knew that he had precedence over all things, that one took the towel. The clear, irreplaceable, and authoritative leader has taken a towel in his hand. 
So please don't ever read the account of foot washing as doing away with the position of leadership. That's not what this text is all about. And I say that because of a phrase that has become quite popular. Now, the phrase is actually a good one, but it can be improperly understood. So what am I thinking about? I'm thinking about the phrase servant leadership. I say it's a good description of a biblical leader if we understand its context rightly. Jesus was a servant leader in that sense. He led out of love for his own, and he led in order to lay down his life for the sake of taking it up again. Whenever leadership is self-serving and is concerned with only one's own personal advancement, rather than leading for the sake of the ones being led, then it's not servant leadership. But in some people's mind, unfortunately, the use of the term servant leadership means, you know, to flatten out all leadership, that is, do away with. People don't lead anymore. We, we all are on the same level of leadership. I mean, these people think that we ought not to have leaders. Rather, we all lead together. We're all servants together. And that's not what this text says. We know that because Jesus, after he washes his disciples' feet, says, I am still your Lord. I'm still your teacher. You're still the ones being taught by me, and you're still the ones who are called to submit to me. You know, as such, I've lost no status by doing this act of foot washing. But as your Lord and as your teacher, I've done this to demonstrate my love and my concern for you. I'm using my authority for your benefit. And then he adds, I've set you an example that you who are called upon to give primary leadership to the church later on, that you should follow my example then. Now go down to verse 20 and read, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So Jesus is about to send them on mission, and as they go on mission and lead the world to Christ, he also says, when people receive you, in essence, They've received my leadership through you. Leadership is not abandoned, but servanthood is embraced. This month, we'll be featuring Dr. Neufeld's new series, Passion. This three-week series is focused on the Gospel of John chapters 12 to 14, and will take you through the study of the critical teachings of the Easter season. Join us every weekday beginning March 30th. And remember, you never need to miss an episode. All of our Bible teaching audio and video programs are available online at backtothebible.ca or for your convenience, sign up for the Back to the Bible Canada podcast wherever you listen to podcasts or download our free mobile app. This Easter season, journey with Dr. Newfeld into an understanding of Christ's sacrifice and victory that perhaps you've never considered before. For more information or to support the ministry of Back to the Bible Canada, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Leaders, if they are trained by Christ, live for the benefit of those whom they are leading. You know, when Jesus saw the crowds and noticed how they were helpless and harassed, like sheep without a shepherd, you know, he was saying that he knew what the sheep needed. They needed a shepherd who would protect them and, and teach them and feed them and ensure that they would remain in the flock of God. 
I am reminded of what one pastor once told me. You know, he said on the first day when he started his new assignment in his new church, the leading board member came into his office with a ceramic sheep and he placed it onto the pastor's new office desk and said, this is always to remind you that you're just one of the sheep. He couldn't have been more wrong. The pastor is called to be a shepherd. So let's turn to another issue. And there are some Christian traditions that believe that foot washing, since it was practiced here, should now be regularly practiced by the church and should be given a place alongside of baptism and the celebration of communion or the Lord's table. Now, they take that from verse 15 in which Jesus said, For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Now, let me say at the outset that I have a great respect for those congregations and those denominations that have made foot washing a regular part of their worship. There's certainly nothing improper with doing that. But I don't think that Jesus intended foot washing to take an an equal place to that of the Lord's table and baptism, and this so for several reasons. You know, first we notice that unlike baptism and the Lord's Supper, that we have no record in the rest of the New Testament that this was an ongoing tradition. So clearly the disciples didn't understand those words, meaning they were to institute that as an ordinance, but rather they thought they were to serve one another and not worry about whether their service would seem demeaning to others. You see, in fact, the only other place where foot washing is even mentioned in the New Testament seems to reaffirm what I've just said. It's found in 1 Timothy 5, verse 10, which is a text about how to discern the attributes of a worthy widow. And it says of her that in evaluating her that she is to have a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, and here's her line, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, has devoted herself to every good work. So washing the feet of the saints seems to refer to taking care of the basic needs of God's people. See, that's what Jesus was saying to the disciples. My example for you, in the future, when you think about this, and as you lead God's people, make sure that you're taking care of the most basic needs of God's people. Make sure that they're cared for. Don't worry about your status. Wash their feet. Care for their needs. You know, there's a second reason why I don't think that foot washing is intended as either a sacrament or an ordinance. See, this is less a biblical argument than it is a practical one. I only notice that foot washing, although it has been accepted in some circles since very early on, has never been accepted by the vast majority of the Christian church in the same way as baptism and the Lord's Supper has. So I simply notice that. But if you and your church are practicing foot washing, Try to make it as meaningful as you can. Remind people of the wonder of serving each other. Remind them of watching out for one another and doing good to each other. Tell people that our Lord and Savior humbled himself even on the cross, and therefore we should never wonder if in serving each other, we should think it's below our dignity. Real leaders of Christ love and serve and give of themselves without worrying about how they look. Look again at verse 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Do you know what Jesus is saying? He's our master, and we're his servants. As servants, we can never hope for a greater attitude than our master. And if our master washed the feet of his disciples, so should we. So at this point in John's faithful narrative of what happened that night in the upper room, it would seem that when we come to verses 18 and 20, 
that he suddenly changes the subject matter. From speaking of serving one another, Jesus, so it would seem, suddenly changes the topic. He goes from telling us that he has set an example for us to be in service to each other, that is, the service of love, and then suddenly hinting strongly that there is a betrayer among them. What's going on? Well, before we answer that, let's read and understand John 13, 18 to 20. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Now, if you read quite carefully through the entire Gospel of John, this announcement here is not really a surprise. If you go back to John 6, 70 to 71, Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, the one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Or John 12, 4 and 5. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, and he's about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? That's to say, Judas was contradicting godly acts of worship from followers of Jesus from the beginning because he had a dark heart from the beginning. Jesus had known this from the beginning. That's why when we come to verse 18 of our text today, we find Jesus saying, I know whom I have chosen. That's to say, among you 12, I know everything about you, for as God, there's nothing about all 12 of you that I'm not fully and intimately aware of. I know the end from the beginning, and I knew from the beginning that I had chosen one who was a devil to be among you. Well, now, we might wonder why he'd done that. Since Jesus knew that Judas would betray him from the beginning, we can hardly say that it was a mistake. No, no, it was a deliberate choice. He would include a deeply depraved and evil man among the twelve. There must have been a reason for it. Now, Jesus then quotes Scripture, and he's quoting Psalm 41, verse 9, and the context of the psalm is found in verse 5. King David says, My enemies save me with malice. When will he die and his name perish? That is, King David knows the reality of enemies who want nothing more than to see him dead. Well, that might not surprise us, because as we study the life of David, we'll see that the kings of the earth are indeed plotting to overthrow him. But in Psalm 41, David isn't speaking about foreign kings. Verse 9 says, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Great many commentators see Psalm 41 as a description of Absalom, David's son, who led a rebellion against his father and launched Israel into a civil war. And so when David says, He ate my bread, he means he put his feet under my table. I cared for him and loved him, and I sacrificed for his well-being. And then this idea of lifting up the heel, well, in the ancient world, it was a sign of utter and complete contempt. And if I were to put that phrase, the lifting up the heel, into a phrase that our culture understand, it would probably, and please forgive me here, it would be something akin to lifting up someone's middle finger, contempt animosity, wishing to do harm. One of the hardest things is not when a foreign king does that, it's to be expected. But when a close friend does it, it's painful beyond belief. And from my own experience of 35 years in pastoral ministry, I have an appreciation for that. It's when close personal friends suddenly turn against you. There is an agonizing sense in that. It's bewildering. It's painful. 
And notice why Jesus mentions that, verse 19. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. That phrase, I am he, literally in the Greek, simply I am. I'm telling you so that when it happens, you understand that I am God that I know all things, and that this thing, the betrayal of Jesus, doesn't cause you to doubt that I know all things. Now then, why did Jesus pick Judas? You know, for one, as we'll say, so that Scripture might be fulfilled. Yeah, that's certainly a part of it. But consider also that Jesus has just knowingly washed Judas' feet, and that Jesus had just said to the disciples that they should now do as they saw him doing, what would that eventually mean? See, I'm going to say this. It can only mean that in the future, as the apostles of our Lord lead the church, he is commanding them not only are they to use their leadership and serve the flock that are under their care, but he is also commanding them to serve even their own enemies. That's always the attitude of Jesus. It remains the same. Give your life for the people of God, but don't hesitate to also give your life to individuals who may never respond to you. We know that's true because in the way, the kind, the loving, and the gracious way in which Jesus treated the betrayer. You know, John, uh, this is an interesting subject to me, the whole idea of servanthood, uh, servant leadership. When I did my master's, I did it uh, in this this environment of servant leadership. Uh, But I always thought to myself, you know, it's easy for a leader to say I should be a servant leader when they're actually not the servant themselves. They don't get up in the morning and say, I'm actually, I don't have any choice. I'm a servant. And I guess in some respects, that's how we should be waking up in the morning, though, isn't it? That we recognize that we have no other way but then to serve Christ. Wow. Yes. And, and uh, you know, even in our discussion before we were on the air, we talked about that thing, Ben, that it's, it's harder to be a servant when you're actually a servant, right? <laughs> you know, maybe when you're a leader, uh, you know, you can, you can play the, the, the humble role, but it's harder when you're actually in the humble position. But how important it is to recognize that our Lord and Savior just gave humility, foot washing, caring for each other's needs, all of those things as the way in which we live our life. It's from now on, it's our, you know, I don't know, it's modus operandi. It's our, you know, this is our, this is our focus in living. We look to serve, we look to care for, wash the feet of others so that they might be cared for because that's how Christ cared for us. Yeah, may the world see us as servants. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Passion, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Laugh Again, an associated ministry resource of Back to the Bible Canada, has had a profound impact on so many lives. In five minutes a day, Phil Calloway, through his special gifts of encouragement and humor, has opened ears to hear the gospel and offered a message of hope in difficult times. Sarah wrote, I love Laugh Again. It's family humor. It talks about things that we can all relate to without tearing each other down. Well, only weeks ago, Laugh Again introduced its newest program, Laugh Again Take Five a five-minute weekly video program that can be seen online at laughagain.ca or on the Laugh Again TV YouTube channel. If there was ever a time to be encouraged, check out Laugh Again Take 5 with Phil Calloway. 
For more information, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit laughagain.ca.